Welcome to Seth Farbman on podcast from startup to stock exchange. Today's podcast is proof that timing is everything. And when you're an entrepreneur, whether a private company or a public company, that is a lesson that at least for myself, I have to tell myself time and time again that everything happens for a reason um, and that things happen for a reason in the right time, in the right place, and with the right people. About six months ago, I had the opportunity to speak with the following guest. And I was very, very pumped that I was going to sit down with him. And we were going to talk about IPOs at its peak. Uber, Slack, Pinterest, WeWork. And for whatever the reason was, it didn't work out. And I was really bummed out. And as it turns out, it wasn't the ideal time to be speaking about IPOs because now it's even more appropriate time to be speaking about what we're about to talk about because the WeWork IPO turned out to be a tobacco. And so now I don't want to talk about IPOs. I want to talk about the players behind them, the background behind it, the due diligence behind it. And there's no better person to be having that discussion with than Raul Ravi, from VCheck Global. So with that introduction, Raul, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Seth. It's great to be uh, here. It's good to have you here rather than six months. It would have been great to have you six months ago, but it's even better to have you here today. So uh, so thanks for coming in. No problem. I mean, it's a lot of things have happened since, since a July. A lot so has happened. There's a lot more to talk about. <laughs> a lot has happened. Um, before we jump into sort of uh, some of the things that go on behind the scenes and behind the curtains that I that I'm curious to know about, I know that a lot of the listeners would be curious to know about, and that you're going to be able to shed some light on. Why don't you give everybody sort of the high-level overview of your background, what you do for VCheck, and um, what are some of the things that, that you do on a day-to-day basis, interacting with C-level uh, executives, as well as um, investment banking firms, private equity funds, uh, things of that nature. Sure, yeah. So for the past you know, eight or nine years, I've been in the corporate investigation space. I uh, started my career at Kroll, then moved on to Exeter, and now I'm with VCheck Global. Um, and I focus mostly on due diligence for large capital markets transactions. So this includes M&As, it can include IPOs, it can also include debt investments or equity investments. Uh, and so we've worked with a lot of private equity funds, investment bankers, and uh, counsel for both of those. Um, and so... Daily, on a daily basis, I am managing the investigations that go into providing due diligence and providing background information on the subjects of these transactions. So, for example, a private FB client on the buy side would come to us and they would ask us to look at the subjects of their acquisition to make sure that there aren't any red flags, any ongoing litigation, any indications that uh, subjects might be engaged in fraud or bribery or have any political connections with the potential for bribery. Uh, so what we're doing is giving them the peace of mind uh, that they're going into the tr- transaction with the people that they 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 know they know who they are um, and they understand the inherent risks that come with. And 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 that's an interesting um, component because you would think that some of these investment banking firms, you know, with the the deck um, that they have and the bench that they have and bandwidth that they have would have this sort of due diligence team in-house, and yet you seem to be implying that they outsource this type of background checking uh, task? 
Is that is that I pretty think, standardized? Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a standard practice because a lot of it is, um, you know, there needs to be an appearance of an independent third party looking at these facts, right? Uh huh. Okay. An investment bank or private equity company that does this in house, if something goes wrong and a regulator looks at it, there's always an assumption that there's a thumb on the scale, right? The investment bank is motivated to get the IPO through or the deal through, uh, and so what we provide is. A, an, an independent third party look. So. so, I mean, at the end of the day, all of these investment bankers, when you hear the term and anybody who, who reads any of my material on LinkedIn or who has spoken to me in the past, they know that I've, that growing up, I always had this misconception. I, I shouldn't say misconception, this um, philosophy that investment bankers have the sexiest jobs out there. You know, they get to wine and dine and they get to do deals. Um, and it sounds very exciting that they go out there and um, find opportunities to raise capital for some of the uh, most up-and-coming companies. But at the end of the day, the core of their due diligence is, can you trust the people that are running the business? That's exactly. what it comes down to. No, exactly. And, and you know, a lot of their a lot of their time is spent reading our reports. And, you know, a, a dry report is a good report for them. It means that they haven't found anything. An exciting report or something that might get someone excited is probably bad for them. Uh, because it provides, uh, you know, drama, uh, drama and red flags that they don't necessarily want to deal with when it comes to, you know, investing uh, huge sums of money. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned WeWork before. Let's talk about that a little bit, right? Yeah, let's talk about that because it's 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 interesting. And I I am so intrigued by that story on a personal level because here you have somebody that was so impressive to the capital markets community that he had this fast growing company and he was valued at ridiculous numbers and everybody looked at him as like the epitome of um, what somebody could accomplish in the business world. And then fast forward, the wheels turn 12 months later, he's at the bottom of that Ferris wheel. Now, is that what happened and what, what transpired? Is that something that would have been uncovered with proper due diligence or, or background research? I think it's interesting when we look at it. I mean, you know, the financials are one thing, right? The auditors are looking at the S1, they're looking at the books and they're saying, okay, is the company profitable? You know, what's the path to profitability? What are the inherent risks in this business? That's fine. That's not what we're doing. You know, that's for the KPMGs and the PWCs of the world to kind of do that. What we're doing is looking at the reputational aspects of, of going public. Like what is WeWork's reputation in, in the industry, what is Adam Newman, and what is the rest of the board of the C-suite? And I think when I read everything about it, when I go through the S1, and the things that have transpired up until, you know, SoftBank's basically lifeline, um, a lot of the things that brought down the valuation and kind of got Newman in trouble were the reputational aspects of, of what was going on, right? Um, the biggest one, the first one was, you know, the appearance of self-dealing. He owned the Wee trademark and was leasing it back to WeWork along with a couple of the other co-founders. Uh, he was using, you know, personal or he was using corporate funds and person and corporate jets for personal use, things like that. Then there was something in the Wall Street Journal, I think yesterday or today about how he referred to someone's maternity leave as a vacation. Right. And these are all things that when you go public and you become in the public eye and you're liable to shareholders, um, these things are going to cause problems. Right. And they're going to cause shareholders a question. Are you the leader of the future? And if you are acting in a way where you're referring to maternity leave as vacation, right? In the public eye, you're going to face a lot of backlash. And eventually that's going to take a hit on shareholder value. So, but, but that's, that's an interesting distinction. And let me, let me put you on the spot in terms of this, this report that VCheck comes back with. 
reputation in my mind is different than background check. In other words, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, if I think background check, I think, does he have any lawsuits? Does he have any um, outstanding uh, bankruptcies? You know, things that are factual. But when you're sitting here talking about reputation, you know, what comes to mind are more of like a social media reputation. So is, are they two different things? Are those things that you, that you offer on both sides of the equation? Yeah, so the first things you mentioned, like litigation, uh, you know, regulatory actions, just negative news media, that's all going to be covered. That's, that's the background check part of it. Okay. Right? When we look at, you know, these large tra- capital market transactions, what we're looking at is how did they perform their previous jobs? Is there anything in the public record that would have you question their ability to perform the job or would there be a potential for them to harm your reputation as an investor? Right. So we wouldn't necessarily have found that, you know, he referred to paternity leave as a as a vacation. Right. You know, unless right. we asked people, you know, close to him or in the industry, what, what have you heard about Adam's, you know, uh, workplace demeanor? Right. But what we would have found is we would have found the, the, the related party transactions. Right. The kind of the possibility that, that there might be self-dealing because we look at what other companies has he incorporated? You know, where else is he a member? Like all these LLCs. It was actually really easy to find when we did it. We reverse engineered it. We went into the you know the U.S. trademark office and looked at all the trademarks huh. that he has. And he owns all of them, right? And so when you say he owns a trademark for WeWork or We, and then he is or the We companies or whatever it was, and then he's the CEO of the, the WeWork, you know, that's a question that the investors when they read that they should ask him. You know, what's the relationship between all these LLCs that have this We name and the trademarks that are registered and WeWork? So it's a really deep dive. It's so it's not a really just deep dive. Level. And, you know, we've had examples of this in the past. We've had examples where a pharmaceutical company CEO owned a bunch of uh, storage units, you know, and he was in the, in the draft S1. It said that, you know, they were leasing land or storage from these LLCs, but it didn't mention who the owners of the LLCs were. But we found that they were registered to his name at his home address. So nice. when you say that, when you say that the bakers have to ask the question, it's like, okay, how much are these leases worth? Do you own the company outright or is it a side venture with other people? Who are those other people, right? Because you don't want the terms of self-dealing because once that happens, that's a shareholder lawsuit, right? Right. That you're funneling money into your own accounts as an executive or the executive is funneling money into your own accounts as an executive. And you need to be able to see that and kind of ask those questions before. And our reports are not necessarily looking to take a transaction. That's the furthest thing we're trying to do. Right. We're trying to give our clients the information to ask the questions that they But the bankers bankers have to appreciate that. In other words, if they're about to drop, you know, it doesn't matter how much, right? Whether it's a fifty million dollar or a five hundred million dollar transaction, if the information that you're coming back with is um, if it tanks it, but you're saving them that potential loss, I mean they've gotta be buying you steak dinners and sushi <laughs> and sending you flowers all day long well they can't buy us anything because then there, then there's no independent no <laughs> third party but yeah, yeah spoken no, like a guy. true spoken <laughs> like a true third party <laughs> but okay, professional. Yeah, okay. No. uh but that's kind of, that, that's the kind of stuff we're looking at right and the other kind of stuff is you know especially as as societal moves uh, trends move and fluctuate you know we're now in, in the era of the me too movement you know after the harvey weinstein revelations and everything that's kind of snowballed from there um a lot of focus has been placed on you know, what is workplace culture like? What is, you know, are there instances of like bro culture in Silicon Valley or sexual harassment, right. things like that? And, you know, all these things are, they might not be immediately available. You're not going to be able to Google it, 
and not going to be all X company and such for right? But that that's that's funny that you that you that you mentioned googling it because I get that question a lot, and I don't necessarily have a clear answer. The, the following question comes up: If I'm and it actually happens a lot, like on the basketball court. If I'm if I'm if I'm talking to somebody and they say, "Oh, what do you do?" and it comes up that I'm involved with a background check company, they say, "Oh, well, I could just do that. I could just Google somebody." Um, you know, I I understand that it's a, a lot more intense than just googling it. But at the same time, I remember I'm, I'm dating myself, but back in I guess 1999 when I was in law school when they still had the uh, AOL dial-up connections, making mm-hmm. the noise way before your time. Um, and we had to use that, that modem connection to, uh, to access LexisNexis. You know, that was really the extent of, of doing research. So more, more advanced than Google, but you know, how, do we, how do we do that deep dive? I mean, are we accessing databases without revealing any like, you know, oh, yeah. hidden secrets? In other words, how, what's the answer to that? Well. What is it that we have access to or that VCheck has access to that the average person can? What are they paying for? Um, and, and what's the comfort level that they have to know that we're really scouring the earth to provide them an all-inclusive solution? Yeah, and, and so and Google is obviously going to be there, right? And there are, there are a multitude of search methodologies that we use for Google to make sure that we're getting the most relevant results in the shortest amount of time, right? So anyone can go Google something, but how long is it going to take? Is it worth your time to do so? And are you trying to find a needle in a haystack when we have a, a magnet that can find the needle in a haystack, right? So, you know, we're trained professionals. We've been doing this for a long time. We understand how all these methodologies work. When it comes to databases, we have access to a lot of commercial and proprietary databases. Um, you know, you mentioned Westlaw, you know, something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, what we do is we use those databases a little differently. So when we're looking at litigation, it's not as simple as were they defendant, you know, it's where does their name come up in the, you know, the piles of litigation documents that come with the litigation, right? So there's an example we had, we were looking at a, I think it was a technology company. And so we, we found that they had some, they had a federal employment lawsuit, you know, and it was kind of a hostile workplace. And um, we, none of the executives were named, so we were kind of at a loss as to what was going on here. Um, so we read the complaint, okay. Uh, but then what we did was we looked at the depositions, the witness depositions mm. of the lawsuit. Okay. And the witness depositions of the lawsuit, since they're affidavits, right, and they're, they're you know, they're filed under oath, they're not really, they're, they're part of the evidence in discovery. They're not in the complaint. Right. But in the depositions, they described pretty lewd behavior by the CEO at their, at a launch party uh, for one of their products. It was in Miami Beach at a hotel. Um, and... You know, they described a lot of things in there that weren't in the that weren't in the complaint, but that's something that you know what it led to was, okay, this exists in the public record. These people, multiple people, multiple witnesses were saying that this happened at this party, right? So, what that actually led into was, you know, you can Google it and say the CEO plus sexual harassment, but nothing's in the complaint, nothing right? because right. it's, sure. it's it's public record. But we found it in, in the legal documents, gave it a little more credibility than a blog somewhere else, right? What we did was that led into sourcing groups, right? It said, okay, let's ask around. Let's ask people on the ground that are kind of close to the industry what this person's reputation is and building out a profile, right? Because those that, that could have been an isolated incident, right? And it's not that's not justifying it in any way, but as a business decision maker, that's the best thing you can hear at that point. Right, that's right, an isolated right. incident. But or it could be a pattern of behavior, which is the worst thing you can hear. 
So we're trying to give the, the, the overall profile. So it's not just Googling it. There's a lot of avenues of information that we take and compile and put together as a finalized product for the decision making. Now we're not making a decision for, for them. Sure, we're sure. Kind of presenting them with the information and how it, how it all lays out. Um, and so I think that kind of answers your question. It's not just Googling. It's not, yeah. something, you know, you can do a lot of it yourself, right? I mean, if you're, it, you know, if your daughter is dating some guy, you're going to Google it. You're going to try to figure some things out. But, right. but in this instance, this is since, since we're dealing with large sums of Does money, that ever come up? Do people want to just Google their daughter's boyfriend or? Yeah, we just, like we did, we've discouraged it in the past. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, there's I'm other, sure all kinds of crazy There's other stuff. background check companies. I'm sure, that I'm that, sure yeah, there's yeah, yeah. all kinds of crazy but stories. The, I, what's, what's the craziest story you're allowed to tell us? Anything that you found on, uh, like whether a CEO that was going to go public and kibosh the deal, or yeah, no, I mean, or it, you can't, you can't reveal anything. Well, it's interesting. I can, I can, I can't reveal names or, or right. No, names, I understand. But, you know, a, a while ago, there's there was there was a company that was that was uh, it was it, it was considering going public, and what we found were some allegations against one of its officers uh, that was in the public. That was they were expunged. Right. So if you went to the the actual court database where this took place, uh, you wouldn't find it. Right. But we were using commercial databases, you know, something like, like you said, Westlaw, Lexis, Bloomberg Law. And those websites, this is free legal advice, those websites, even if things are expunged, don't necessarily, those databases don't necessarily have to expunge them from their records. So mm -hmm. we found it there. Wow. Right. And we presented it in, in the report and we said, this wasn't available at the county board level, but it, it exists, you know, anyone with a paid subscription can find this, right? Wow. And so this is a question that you're gonna to have to ask this person. Um, and so it created kind of a, it created a kind of, you know, a little bit of conflict before their transaction. Well, what, what's fascinating is this is really, this, this service um, is really something that is applicable to any industry and any, any business. Oh, yeah. We were talking before how of course, it's relevant in the IPO industry through through every silo, whether it's SPACs, whether it's technology. Um, you know, I lay awake awake at night, <clears throat> pretty much every night, trying to think about well, okay, I'm in the IPO industry. What other service can I bring um, to that industry? But I mean, this touches every industry. Even the other day, I was hearing about the whole college fraud scam. And about how people were still, um, you know, being reprimanded and, and different lawsuits about the bribery in, in, in that whole arena. But uh, you probably see college college think, fraud or, or, or every industry touches on the need to do your due diligence and background check, not just in the in the IPO arena or, or necessarily corporate. No, uh, yeah, it's 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 everywhere. And we've had clients from, you know, charities to uh to international aid organizations. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned SPACs, and I like to touch on that because a SPAC is, it, I think SPACs are funny enough tailor-built for sort of reputational due diligence because you're putting, you're betting money or a large sum of capital on, you know, a group of people to to buy a business. For those of you for those of you listeners who don't know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, uh, fan of the SPAC industry, which is probably hotter now over the last 18 months than it has ever been special purpose acquisition company where essentially you are investing in a company that is at the moment nothing more than a shell company which has been put together um, by a sponsor and a board a board group 
of experienced professionals in a given sector, let's say finance or technology or oil and gas. And these are folks who have a proven track record and you are investing in the company to list on, let's say NASDAQ, that within the upcoming 18 months, they will find a company to acquire in that sector to acquire and then continue on. But as Raul rightly mentioned, you're betting now that the folks on the board now have uh, a, a reputation and a history and experience to be able to pull this off. And that's what you're investing in. Exactly. Their I mean, reputation. They're, they're, at the moment the SPAC hits, I mean, the, the, the main asset they have is right, is their reputation, their experience. So you want to bet that, yeah. right? You're not betting their business model. You're not betting their, their assets or if their company is in a certain lawsuit that might be existentially an existential threat. You're measuring, are they who they say they are? And do they have the track record they say they do? And is there anything behind the curtain that is going to affect them pulling off this business? Because they are the asset at that point, yeah. right? Uh, and so I think for SPACs, I mean, the, the, the applicability for this work with SPACs is just, I think, uh, it's, and, it's, it's, it's not negotiable. I think it needs to be done. And you had mentioned international. How often does that come up? International, it, you know, international work, it usually comes up with uh, a lot of M&A work. Uh, so U.S. companies or U.S. funds that are investing in in, in, in businesses abroad, uh, and it comes up a lot. It comes up all the time, um, and it, it you know a lot of that varies. It, is it Southeast Asia? Because Southeast Asia, from an investigation standpoint, is different than Western Europe, which is different than the Middle East. You know, and even within the Middle East, you, the UAE is going to be different than Israel, uh, and there's different inherent risks in all of these jurisdictions, um, and there's different amounts of available information in all these jurisdictions. Uh, and so a lot of this work is tailored toward getting to getting to the point where you the client is satisfied enough with the transaction to, to go ahead with it, right? Um, outside of the U.S., your main concern is bribery. It's really? bribery and corruption. Yeah, in Latin America, in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, it's all it's all about bribery. I mean, Brazil just had that huge Lava Jato scheme where you know politicians and everyone else is funneling. We're funneling cash through. But how does but how does that work? If I could ask, like from for the foreign due diligence or background checks, is it the same process of accessing databases, or is it uh, a different process where you're actually going down there or so interacting is, with different affiliates that we have down there and a more on the grounds way of? Um, There's about to be a fire drill. You guys can just disregard. Love it. Only on my podcast <laughs> is there a fire drill warning. So duly noted. Let's continue on. So do we have like um, an affiliate network in these foreign countries that uh, helps us on the ground? Yeah. So we have uh, partnerships with uh, a variety of a variety of uh, professionals across the world. Um, and these, these people are, you know, they're former intelligence officers or former domestic police uh, the former journalists, the former watchdogs, uh, and they work for international organizations. So they have a variety of, of, of networks that they tap into, uh, and they're able to get us very good information that is that is pretty close to the source that we need to that we need to investigate uh, without without revealing who they are and who we are, and most importantly, more importantly, who the client is. And they're done discreetly uh, and. They're pretty much global in coverage, obviously, with the exceptions of, you know, active war zones and, uh, you know, sanctions excluding countries like Iran and North Korea. Uh, but generally, the source network is, is global and they can get uh, a good amount of information that even to this day surprises me. Uh, 
um, but they're able to do things like that. And, and they're smart about who they contact. They're not going to contact relatives. They're not going to contact spouses. You know, they're going to contact people who have access to the information that we need, uh, and hopefully who aren't motivated to speak negatively or positively. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's raw data. And what we do on our end is take that raw data, we compare it to what we found in public records, and paint a, a profile that that is hopefully the most useful to the client, right? Uh, so one offhand comment about how it, uh, some executive is a jerk is not going to be the topic of the report. Right. It's going to be weighed against everything else that we've found, and it's going to be presented in, in a responsible way. And, you know, Alex Soren is is our is our practice leader in that in that regard, and he's had a lot of experience doing this. Uh, and we sort of put together this methodology that we think is 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 the best that it could possibly be given. And I would imagine it's not just the information um, that guides that decision for, let's say, you as the client that is so important, but having that um, report going forward is a very valuable asset, right? So that whether it's a month, a year, 10 years down the road, if something blows up, having that report in your back pocket is going to be the lifeline that saves you to say, hey, listen, you know, I did my due diligence. I did my research. This is not something that could have been found or that I should have known about because I did the proper research uh, to protect myself or my shareholders. Um, so that's something that is a necessary thing to have. I yeah, imagine. no, and that's a good point. It's a great point. It's it's, it's it is an uh, it's a report that's going to be auditable, right? So, so an auditor, if they come in and something happens, let's say uh, they're going to look at the report and they're going to say, yeah, this this meets the test of reasonableness, right? It's supposed to be reasonable due diligence, um, and you know a lot of that that's interpreted as public records, um, but going going into the, the human the human source inquiries, that's going to make make your decision it's gonna give you more peace of mind on the decision if anything does go wrong you're gonna be able to say look you know we did more than was necessary it's gonna be a mitigating factor uh in anything going forward and like yeah there's some things that you're never gonna find right, right you know right. until it happens right because it, it could be the first mess up and so there's no track record of it but you know one day they decided this is worth the risk and they did it and then you know well, you're stuck this is it. very valuable um you know Truth, truth or not, they always say, do you, should, is it good or not good to Google yourself? Do you ever Google yourself? Uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I, you, you do, <laughs> but you got you have to do it from like a, a computer that you haven't used because your computer knows who you are. Oh, oh is that you true? Know, so I didn't know gonna, that. Okay. So they're going to pull up the most relevant results. You know today. what? As, as, a, as the owner of a background check company, I should actually order a background check on myself. Googling <laughs> myself, I've done once in a while, admittedly so, <laughs> but I should run a background check. Anyway, but the takeaway here is a very valuable one, and I appreciate all the... Uh, the insight and the behind the scenes that you've uh, afforded myself and the listeners here today. And uh, the takeaway is, um, listen, ideally, it's always good to know who you're doing business with or who you're lending money to. But if you don't have that luxury, then uh, do the proper research and, uh, and protect yourself. Yeah. So, uh, Any dollar spent on it is going to be dollar saved somewhere down the road. Well said. Well, thanks again for coming and uh, we appreciate it. No problem, sir. Thanks for having me.